It's time for All Hands on Tech. Climb on board as we explore all the amazing things happening in Nova Scotia's tech sector. Each episode, we'll chat with local experts to uncover the secrets of what makes Nova Scotia the best place for collaboration, innovation, and creativity. All Hands on Tech is proudly produced by Digital Nova Scotia, the industry association for Nova Scotia's growing tech sector. Welcome back to All Hands on Tech. I'm Ashley. And I'm Claire. For more than a decade, our guest today has changed the way organizations have connected, collaborated, and shared ideas using technology. Ignite Technology started in Calgary, but has since expanded across Canada, including right here in Nova Scotia. Ignite has grown from a company of only a few to a team of more than 80 people who have been especially busy these past few years helping companies adopt new practices and tools to allow for remote work. So to talk more about what that work looks like, we're thrilled to have Chris Jezzard, an account executive with Ignite Technology, joining us today. Welcome to All Hands on Tech. Uh, thank you, Claire, and actually appreciate you uh, having me on the show today. We're so happy to have you here and to get to know kind of you a little bit more and what the work you do at Ignite Technology is. So maybe let's just start there. For folks who haven't heard of Ignite Technology before, what exactly do you do for your clients? Uh, well, Ignite Technology is, uh, has several disciplines within the within the organization. Uh, we started off as a collaboration company. And so when I say collaboration, I mean audiovisual boardrooms, uh, meeting spaces, unified communications like phone systems and uh, contact centers. Uh, so there's, uh, there was that discipline. That's how it started. Uh, they saw an opportunity in the market uh, where there was a gap, not a lot of reliable or uh, stable implementations of that. So they, uh, they started off in that area. And uh, back in 2018, we branched into cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And then most recently in, in uh, 2021, at the end of 2021, we acquired a managed services company. So now we offer that discipline as well. So, so you do a lot. We do a lot, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, we do pretty much full-service company. Okay, very cool. Um, we do have some more questions for the work that you do, but first we want to get to know you a little bit better, Chris. So maybe, Claire, let's start off with some rapid-fire questions. All right, sounds good. So, Chris, work from home or in person? <laughs> Mostly from home. Uh, I, I do visit a lot of clients uh, on, on site, but uh, not a lot of office work, no. Do you have a really cool home office? Yes. You I it out, actually. <laughs> I love that. It is. It's great. Dual monitors, uh, TV, the whole works. Nice. So. Nice. So, so work from home is your preference? It is my preference, yeah. yeah. Okay. It, definitely. I have no problem going into the office. Of course. But uh, working from home just makes the most sense. Yeah. I'll, you know, we, I'll talk a bit about uh, working from home, uh, I think, in general a bit later. For but sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's preferable. Okay. Have, have there been any uh, any casualties working from home? You, know, you see those broadcasters and their kids come in the oh, background with yeah. their dogs <laughs> or anything? Uh, cat. Ah. Yeah. A class. So I have bad. two cats and they, uh, for some reason... The only time they're interested in, in making an appearance is when I'm on a call. So yeah. That's hilarious. I just have to say it's my assistant uh, helping me out, you know. Yeah. I feel like those are usually well-received. <laughs> Pets are well-received. Oh, usually, For yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Love that. Um, okay. Have you ever been on the dark web? Have I ever been on the dark web? <laughs> no, I avoid the dark web. <laughs> Good answer. Do you know anyone who's been on the dark web? Um, no, but I suspect I've met a few people who might be from the dark side. <laughs> I love it. I'm so curious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite app? My favorite app? Yeah. I think right now, um, Slido, I think right now, just um, I've been using it more and more lately, so... I don't know what that is. Yeah, What's Slido? Know. Slido is a, an app from Cisco that it lets you enhance your presentations, do oh, okay. conduct polls and things like that within your presentation. It just makes cool. for a much more impactful uh, presentation. You know, sometimes 
the you know powerpoints can be a little less than fun yeah right so slido gives you a way to kind of enhance your your oh, presentation have to check it out yeah check it out definitely fun. I love that. <laughs> and the last one is uh, a little bit Nova Scotian inspired, but do you have a favorite hiking trail here? A favorite hiking trail? I'd have to say that would be Gaff Point, which is uh, at the end of Hurdles Beach in uh, down towards Kingsburg, outside of Lunenburg. Oh, I yeah. love it. Oh, you got to check it out. check it out. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's a bit of a hike just to get to it, but uh, you walk to the very end of the beach and then it's a spectacular trail. Um, about takes about well, 45 minutes to an hour to get around it. And there's also, if you know the way, there is a secret beach. Ooh, we love a secret beach. You you have to rappel down a rope to get to it. (gasps) Okay, that's a little intense. (laughs) Is there like a rope there? There is, yes. Oh, yeah. Did you install it? I think it? it's still there. I didn't <laughs> Did do you it. Install no. <laughs> no. You might be the only person to know about this. No, there's a lot of people. Well, well someone installed it. So. Most of the locals know, and yeah. and, uh, and more and more of the tourists know now that uh, they're hard to find Now even more people it, are right? going to know. That is, Yeah, we may have ruined the, the speaker here. Yeah. What a great answer. Yeah. I so. love it. Yeah. Okay, well, now we'll get into some more hard-hitting questions. Ignite began as a company helping others reimagine their workspaces. So your company probably never foresaw a global pandemic coming 10 years ago that would totally change office structure. What impact did that have on your work at Ignite? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people saw the pandemic coming Mm -hmm. or the eventual impact it would have on on the workforce in general. For us at Ignite, we're primarily a remote company, so... Um, we do have staff located in offices across the country, but uh, our workflow wasn't really adversely affected internally mm-hmm. um, because of our remote work. We were already geared up for it. Uh, but a lot of the companies that uh, had some had implemented some form of remote work over the course of the pandemic, uh, this was all new for them, right? It really forced a rethink, I think, of how businesses deploy their workforce and introduced a lot of new challenges, cybersecurity among them, um, you know, they were also challenged to implement collaboration spaces uh, with hardware and software that they hadn't previously used as they're part of their daily workflow. So, I mean, it's easy to start a Teams or a Zoom call. Uh, I think a lot of organizations kind of gravitated towards those those apps. Um, but there's a lot more uh, to a collaboration strategy than mm-hmm. just implementing a Teams or a Zoom call. So uh, that was part of the challenge, right? There's, it's not just boardrooms to consider, but huddle spaces, hot desks, uh, whiteboards, team spaces, messaging services, you know, web sharing, phone systems. All of that goes into a, a good collaboration space, right? So you know, the challenge for us really internally was to react effectively to that with the increase in activity in that space. So uh, with companies looking for expertise in implementing new spaces or upgrading existing spaces, Right, we're still seeing that today. We're still mm-hmm. very busy in the collaboration space, as uh, even though we're kind of back to normal or the the new normal, whatever we're calling it now, uh, companies are starting to plan for the future. So you mentioned the new normal. So you know, what are you seeing? What do you think the future of office structure is? Do you think everyone's going to remain remote? If there's going to be a slow trickle back, like what is kind of your idea of the new normal? What do you think it's going to be? Well, yeah, a couple of good questions there and, and definitely related. Um, so the future of office structure is definitely changing. Um, we're seeing some businesses reduce the number of indiv- individual offices and increase the amount of, of meeting space, huddle 
spaces, et cetera. In some cases, we've seen a complete flip of the office structure from maybe mm -hmm. a 70 30 ratio of offices to meeting spaces to a 30 70 ratio. Mm -hmm. That's a bit extreme, but uh, I've seen that. I've seen companies reduce their, you know, their footprint from four office floors down to two or three mm -hmm. because they're reimagining how their their workspace needs to be. Uh, but the, you know, to do that, you need a plan, right? And that plan starts with the second question, which is uh, whether everyone's going to be back in the office or, or, or work remotely, right? And so the answer really lies somewhere between, mm -hmm. right? There's going to be a combination of, of both a hybrid activity, right? So, uh, so business need to have that workforce plan to deal with remote workers. And it's not just about facilitating a new office structure, but to me, more importantly, to uh, attract and retain talent. Right? Workers, especially younger workers, expect uh, options when it comes to flexible working hours, the ability to work from home. The pandemic kind of escalated that issue of workers requiring a better work-life balance. Right? So uh, the businesses with a progressive plan, they're going to attract and retain better employees than organizations who don't have a plan right? and expect people to return to the office regardless of their ability to, to work from home, right? And I look at it like we used to measure productivity by the hours you kept in the office and uh, coming in early, staying late, right? That's what the boss noticed. We need to measure productivity by business outcomes, not by physical mm -hmm. presence. So that's kind of where I, I see things are, are heading. It's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a hybrid approach, right? It's, uh, but there needs to be a reason for bringing people back into the office. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, in my last uh, position, I went back to the office and I sat there and I did Zoom calls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in my closed office with the door closed, it, would, yeah. it didn't really make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, the other people I was Zooming with were just down the hall, but none of us were meeting in person. So it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, really what you need to have is um, uh, with in-person meetings is you need them to be meaningful. Right. So there's meaningful meetings where there's, you know, a clear agenda, relevant information, trackable outcomes involving the people that are there. So, there, you know, there's that part of it. As we like to say at Ignite, you need to earn the commute. Hmm. Right. And that's for the employer. You need to earn the commute. If someone's going to spend 30 to 60 minutes a day uh, one way uh, coming to your place of employment, it's got to be worth their while. Right. So. Uh, another consideration would be intelligent meetings, so not just meaningful, but intelligent meaning, bringing that technology into the space, whiteboards, you know, you can transcribe, record, use apps like I mentioned, Slido, include remote participants and, and local participants, so that's pretty much the norm these days. There's not too many meetings where you don't have both, right? So those are the kind of things you need, meaningful and impactful meetings. Bringing people back just for the sake of it really could lead to lower morale, Mm -hmm. poor productivity and, and poor business outcomes. So. so based on your clients then, I mean, I know you can't like predict the future of what it's going to look like, but do you see, like you said, it's somewhere kind of in the middle? Are, are yeah. I, kind I, of sticking with the hybrid? Or? I think a hybrid approach is yeah. what most companies feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, although I, I don't necessarily see a great plan there. I don't know what, I, I see mandates. Oh, you got to come in. Tuesday, Thursday, and then one day is up to you. You know, you got to come in three days a week. And, and I look at that and I go, well, what happens on Tuesday and Thursday that's so magical? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, is, is there a reason well, for coming in Well, on the flip side days? of that, do you think that you can, I mean, there's lots of opinions on this, but build the right, like, culture? Because we talk a lot about company culture. Do you think it's possible to have the same company culture and be at home? 
I think you can. I yeah. think it's a combination. You can do things with collaboration spaces like in, in WebEx and Teams and, and, and tools like that where you can actually build. And, and I know internally here at, at Ignite, we have different spaces that bring people together. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of musicians. So there's, there's a space for, for musicians to, to, con- to congregate. There's a, cool. a space for people who like scrapbooking. There's a place for people who like Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, so it just brings people together and allows them to exchange uh, ideas and, or funny memes, et cetera, you know, and, uh, and then, but you got to come combine that with, uh, in-person events as well. So um, right. we, we do a lot of those, uh, across the country regionally, uh, to bring people together, whether it's a golf tournament or, uh, um, a picnic, a hike, whatever it is to bring people together. It could be a business event. It could be a personal like a social event. Uh, so you got to do both really. Right. I want to go back kind of just we talked about the pandemic and I'm just curious at Ignite Technology, um, you know, because you were helping make workspaces work with technology. Right. So like office spaces, boardrooms, things like that. So Mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, I mean, can you talk a little bit about how like your client needs shifted and like were you guys prepared for that? Um, I don't think we're 100 percent prepared. Yeah. Um, and, and we're still catching up today and we're still hiring people in the, in the collab space to, right. uh, as business increases. And I think we've got a better handle on it now, which way it's going. And, and like I said, it's, you know, we're, we're seeing still activity in the boardroom space, but we're seeing a lot, a lot of activity, say, in huddle spaces, mm-hmm. hot desks. Right. So people that just uh, you might have six or eight hot desks in your environment. People just come in and plug in when they're in the office. There's no need to have a specific office for everybody anymore right so that that's really what's changing is that kind of office structure and and how it's laid out and and giving people the ability to work from home but when they come in giving them some tools so huddle spaces you know they might be on a project with two or three other people they don't need a full boardroom they just Mm -hmm. need a space to go and collaborate and maybe plug in and and in maybe somebody's remote maybe there's somebody in a different office on the other side of the country they need to bring that person in so they need that kind of technology to kind of go in have a huddle space do some brainstorming and uh, and and have a better business outcome at the end of the day all right yeah it looks it looks a lot different than it did just a few years ago eh mhm definitely so we understand your opinion on working from home working from home is great Um, But it could obviously open the door for some security risks that wouldn't necessarily exist if everyone was at the office. What do businesses need to be thinking about and keeping in mind with workers at home, in a lot of cases in different countries? Yeah, the, I mean, that's a that's a great question because there's a good reason to be concerned with the uh, increase in cyber attacks, especially mm-hmm. over the pandemic. If you're not properly protected, there's a real risk of compromise. But that doesn't mean we should act out of fear. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some of that out there. That usually re- results in uh, not spending your money wisely. Yeah. <laughs> so, Quick fixes or... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rather than, than you, know, we, you know, we like to say here at Ignite, we use a non-fear-based approach to security. So, you know, you don't want to have wasteful spending or, or a lack of plan. So what you really need is education and planning. And that's crucial to developing a cybersecurity program and a roadmap that's uh, that's going to lead to cyber maturity. And uh, uh, there's a couple of terms you're going to hear a lot of, uh, or you probably have heard a lot of, is like cyber resilience is one of them. You know, in, in your organization, and and how do you do that? Right? How do you get cyber resilience? There's a few different ways. So we could be thinking of things like uh, security policies and procedures. Right. Do you have that in place? Uh, do you have a disaster recovery plan? Do you have a business continuity plan? 
And the difference there is disaster recovery is more technical, business continuity is more operational, right? And cybersecurity user awareness training. Are your users and users properly trained? Are they on the lookout? Are they helping you create that culture of cyber resiliency? It has to go right down. It has to be top to bottom in your organization, right? So it really needs to be, cybersecurity really needs to be treated as a business issue. Uh, it needs to be embedded into your business functions, act as an internal part of your business operations. Mm -hmm. And that's how you, uh, that's, part of how you attain cyber resilience, right? And uh, I think uh, the start of it's really having a security assessment done. And uh, once that security assessment's done, it, it creates, uh, you get kind of a gap analysis and it allows you to, to figure out, you know, what needs to be done for an organization, right? And, um, and then we can start implementing those policies and procedures and building you a roadmap to attain cyber resilience. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that was my question. What would be like your number one tip if someone needed to like up their cybersecurity game? But yeah, maybe doing that audit. Or I think assessment. A, an assessment yeah. makes the most sense up front. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be the best money you've ever spent because it's going to give you that view into your own network that you never had before. And uh, we base it on a on a security framework. So we'll go in. We have our own, but there's some industry standard frameworks out there that you can use. Uh, NAST, ISO, International Standards Organization. There's several of them. We can use any one of those or we can use our own Ignite security framework, which includes about 120 controls that we use to determine policies and procedures that, that need to be implemented. That, uh, that's the start, mm -hmm. right? That's what helps you create that gap analysis and gives you the ability to create a roadmap to cyber maturity. Um, a lot of that goes hand in hand with what we're hearing also. There is zero trust. So that's the other uh, word you may have heard a lot of lately, zero trust. What does that mean, right? Zero trust is zero trust network access or zero trust architecture, the two kind of terms you'll hear. And uh, so the network access part is just initiating certain practices to create a stronger, more secure environment. So things like strong identity management practices, right? Um, and that includes people, systems, devices, everything. So you're identifying everything on your network, right? Uh, utilizing the technical term is micro-segmentation. We just call it subnetting in the field. So splitting your security perimeter into smaller zones, right? That's going to help you manage your network so you're not exposing all of your resources in one big global network. You've got it chunk down into smaller zones and you can better protect that critical data or resources, right? Uh, Multi-factor authentication. Mm, Huge. So I think annoying. we're all used to that one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it is. You never know whose cell phone it's at. It's, uh, I know. <laughs> it, it can be, but it's it's huge right now. Yeah. It's, it's one way to to implement a part of zero trust, right? Um, and, the, and the concept or the principle of least privilege, that's another one. So when you're accessing resources and setting this up, don't give access to people that uh, at a certain level if they don't need it, mm -hmm. like execute and write privileges and things like that. Don't yeah. need to be given to everybody for everything, right? Lock it down. And so that's called the principle of least, uh, of, of, uh, of least privilege. So that's, that's, that's crucial. Also, validate your endpoints. It's surprising how many companies out there don't even know what endpoints are on their network. Um, so you can, you can validate your endpoints 
Uh, don't trust any devices that have not been verified. Uh, you can pre-enroll devices. Uh, there's a lot of tightening you can do at, at the endpoint level to, to you know, to secure your network. So th- these are things that you can do, uh, in part, you know, one or more of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do all of them if you did like a. <laughs> I'll throw another uh, acronym at you: SASE. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a follow-up. That that's a good one, right? <laughs> it's actually S A S E, and it stands for Secure Access Service Edge, and it's uh, uh, it just helps unify your your SD WAN environment, your network security point solutions into a centralized cloud native service, right? So you, if you integrate that into your network, and there's some considerations there, but it's going to give you the features of a lot of what we just talked about. It's going to roll all of that into one package in a cloud-native environment that gives you uh, a user admin control panel that, mm-hmm. you can, uh, that you can use. It just simplifies a lot of things uh, you know, tremendously. Uh, so that's, uh, that's going to help you contain any, any breaches, right? If somebody does get through, you're going to have all these zero-trust initiatives implemented, and so any damage they, they could do would be mitigated, right? Mm-hmm. So some people say to me, oh, you know, I've got VPN, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, VPN's good, right? It's better than nothing. Uh, but, you know, against zero trust, it's they're really kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum, right? And VPNs generally take an all or nothing approach. Once you're in, you're in, right? right. You've got more or less global access. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that opens you up to like a lateral attack, right? And then if that happens, they, you know, the, the bad actors got pretty much carte blanche on your, on your network, right? So uh, zero trust, you know, even if, uh, it, you know, on the other hand, it gives authorized and authenticated users limited access to resources based on a need to know kind of level, right? So if they do get through, their chances of damage are a lot less, right? So um, what that means is, you know, it does provide zero trust provides a better outcome for sure, but you don't, you know, you can still use VPN. Um, For instance, you can, with VPN, you can implement uh, subnetting. So when you're VPNing in, you're going into a subnet that is, has only certain resources on it. So even if someone hacked you, they can only access that part of your network. They're not going to be able to get to other parts. So you can start implementing zero trust on a kind of an incremental basis. You don't mm-hmm. need to go full hog necessarily, you know, but again, it's all part of having a plan, right? So It can sound a little overwhelming, but um, that's where Ignite comes in, I'm sure, is you can kind of help companies implement a lot of these things that you just mentioned. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, for a lot of companies, I mean, there's a stat from Gartner that says by 2025 that at least 70% of new remote access deployments will be served predominantly by zero trust. Mm. as opposed to VPN, and that's up from 10% at the end of 2021. (laughs) So it's with the way the industry's going, right? Right. And it's a a much more complex uh, setup, so you really, you need help. I mean, Mm -hmm. most IT departments are are challenged as it is, so yeah, uh, yeah, definitely having a good IT company on your side is going to help, for sure. Do you think that, you know, this is often a scenario of people don't know what they don't know? know that all these kind of different solutions you're rhyming off like I wasn't familiar with a lot of them yeah yeah I work in this space so it's I know how do you have to do you have to advocate a lot for cybersecurity or do people just come to you and they're open-minded like how does that kind of that you you get a mix you know yeah Yeah. people are more open-minded these days because they're hearing a lot of of horror stories Mm -hmm. you know you see it on the news read it in the papers and all that and and it's not, uh, you know, if it hasn't made an impact, 
it should, you know, but usually a lot of people have heard it from their peers, right? And I think that's a, a lot of it's peer driven. They're saying, right. you know, uh, this happened to us. And, you know, it's maybe a CIO or a CEO talking to another CIO or CEO and they're and they're hearing right. these stories directly mm-hmm. and it's making an impact. It's not just a headline anymore. No, it's enough, it's, often enough it's that, actually yeah. personal. It's it's your it's yeah. your your cohorts that are coming to you saying, you know, well, we had an issue. You guys need to, you know, be aware and be protected. Right. So so that's that's driving it. I think there's just there is more openness to it. And I, you know, a lot of companies, though, still view. IT as a line item expense, right? So that's that's holding some people back. Mm, right. But that's why you need a plan, right? Because you don't need to flip the switch and do it all at once. These things can be done incrementally over a period of time and that fits in with a budget, right? And that's that's crucial too, right? So you don't have to go from zero to 100 in, in uh, five seconds flat. So. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not as exciting, but uh, let's talk a little bit about cyber insurance because obviously with you know more threats and attacks (laughs) on the rise that's something important that we need to think about so kind of what's happening in that world and what do businesses need to do and to know this actually is driving a lot of people to the table (laughs) cyber insurance oh yes definitely it's uh, if they if they weren't thinking about cybersecurity uh, before their insurance companies making them think about it it's uh, the insurance premiums have skyrocketed in recent years, two, three times or more higher than they were just a couple of years ago. And, wow. uh, you know, there's too many claims, too many unsecured networks, essentially. Um, so most, if not all, the insurance companies are now requiring detailed questionnaires and surveys of your network uh, environment before they'll uh, quote a rate. So they, um, they'll require proof that certain things are being done on a regular basis to receive any kind of discounts, mm-hmm. right? So some uh, requirements might be like a vulnerability assessment. So you would run that regularly, maybe monthly. Some companies run them weekly. I mean, you'd run it at least quarterly, mm-hmm. uh, if not monthly. Uh, penetration testing, or some people call that ethical hacking, right, where you actually pay a company to come in and just try to break your network, right? So they were actually requiring sometimes that once a year. That'd be kind uh, of a fun job. It, it would be, wouldn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> it's uh, it's not a it's not a cheap endeavor for companies. But, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but that uh, you know, cybersecurity awareness training. Do you have it on your network? You know, if you do, you you'll get points for that mm-hmm. and, and and cheaper rates. Uh, and, and you know, so that's that's really uh, crisis management planning would be something else, right? That uh, that they would want to see. So there's a whole list of questions that they have. And, and depending on your answers is going to depend what kind of cyber insurance premiums you're going to wind up paying. So yeah. a very important topic these days. Yeah. If you weren't thinking about your cybersecurity before, you were after As soon as you, you see you the insurance back. bill, you're <laughs> yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so, Boy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So very interesting. When did cybersecurity insurance even like come about? Like, it's only been around for a few years, not okay. long, right? So the insurance, some insurance companies saw an opening. Oh yeah, let's do cybersecurity. We can make some money at this. Totally. And, mm-hmm. and the first year or so was okay, and then when the pandemic hit, of course, the breaches started to come fast, right? And and furious, and 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 next thing you know, they're they're doling out a lot of money to companies, uh, and so now they're they're clamping down, and it's it's become a lot tighter. It's, it's a, it was very it's it's more of a mature industry now that when it first started it was uh, it was kind of like the wild west now it's, uh, right. it's maturing a little bit so now you're seeing some controls put around it and and if you uh, and the thing about it too is if you have a breach they probably won't give you uh, insurance again 
Oh, so, oh boy. That's, uh, yeah. Is it kind of like it's car not, insurance in that way? Like the more accidents well, you have? Well, car insurance, yeah. <laughs> rate, I mean, your rate goes up. At and... least they'll keep insuring you, right? <laughs> you might pay more. But in this case, uh, a lot of them are just denying. They're wow. saying you had a breach. You're that... not, not going to get it with us. You might have you might have luck with somebody else. And maybe that's just because, like you said, it's such like, it's so in its infancy that maybe they can't afford to keep, Well, and you it's, know. basically what they're saying is if you're not going to secure your network the way it needs to be secured, right. if you're not doing all the things that you could possibly be doing, then you're not worth insuring, Yeah, essentially. Wow. And is cyber insurance something that like every business should be thinking about getting or more like the large organizations? No, I think it doesn't have to be just the large ones. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be it's, it's small to medium-sized businesses too. You know, 50 seats, 100 seats, you know, 250 mm-hmm. employees, whatever, definitely. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that don't have insurance. Uh, they're taking a risk, but right. uh, sometimes that's part of it, too. You, you take a mitigated risk that you won't get hacked. But if you do, um, you know, how do you respond and how much money is that going to cost you? Right. right. Mm, super interesting. Mm-hmm. Lots to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what about businesses that are looking to offload their infrastructure and applications to a cloud environment? Is there more risk there? What should people be aware of when doing that? Yeah, great question, because that's uh, another area that's quite active right now, um, people moving things to the cloud. Um, You know, there's a few different types of clouds, right? I think everybody knows the public cloud, because we've dealt with applications like Office 365, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's essentially an environment where you're in a multi-tenant environment. So you share physical servers and, and all this back end uh, infrastructure with other companies, right? Then there's private cloud, which is essentially the same thing, except it's uh, the the hardware and software, everything's dedicated to your environment, right? So it's a private cloud. And then there's hybrid, which is very, uh, very popular these days, um, essentially taking advantage of the, uh, taking advantage of the public cloud along with uh, some on-premise activity for various reasons. And that might be because you just don't want to upload everything all at once or because there's certain data or uh, things you want to keep on your own on-premise. Maybe there's client requirements or compliance issues. So there's a hybrid. And I think a lot of people fall into that uh, into that category, right? Uh, there's also multi-cloud. That's, uh, that's just people using several different cloud providers. But so those are a few different types of clouds, you know. And one thing to remember Security is a shared responsibility on those. Uh, there's certain things that will always be part of the provider's responsibility and certain things like identity, um, user access, and identity management is, is going to be your responsibility. Um, so that's important to, uh, to remember. Um, some important things to consider, uh, well, again, I think we're sounding redundant here when I say let's have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's essential, right? You need to have a plan before you can just say, oh, let's just move that up to the mm-hmm. cloud. Let's just go get Office 365 or whatever. I mean, and that might be a great solution and, and, and your first step maybe, but it, it's got to be part of a larger plan, right? So again, working with a company like ourselves, you know, to build that migration plan and roadmap, Right. There's a lot of things to consider. If you're going to move to the cloud, you want to properly vet your service provider. And I'll put a little plug in for us here, too, that we are also a service provider. We do provide cloud services, so you can actually put your your data into our cloud environment. So right. it doesn't have to be one of the big players. We all right. know who they are, right? But Would you uh, say it's the most secure? 
the most secure? Well, um, <laughs> can, can you measure that? And <laughs> against all of them, uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. But yeah, we have, we build security into it as well. Uh, they everybody does, right? Right. Um, but uh, security is one of those things you want to vet, right? With these companies, right? It's do they have uh, is the data secure? Are they meeting compliance? Do they have airtight backups, recovery strategies, redundancies? All of those things, right? People need to understand the terms and conditions, mm-hmm. right? And the SLAs that are in a service provider agreement. It's amazing how many people get into these things and then they want to move their data and find out it's enormously expensive to get it out mm-hmm. once you've put it uh, on their platform, right? It's, uh, it's, you got to be careful with things like that. Uh, some of these platforms are well-known targets too. So you've got to make sure that you're still doing what you need to do with, uh, with uh, access management and, and security controls at your end user awareness training. All those things don't disappear just because you're in the cloud, right? So overall, I think there's more advantages to being in the cloud or at least in a hybrid environment than being solely on-premise. Um, it gives you the opportunity to, uh, to leverage your existing infrastructure so some of this infrastructure's still got life in it. You've mm-hmm. paid money for it, so you might as well keep using it till at least till its end of life. And in the meantime, you can start moving certain things. If your company's growing, then you can use the cloud to uh, to your advantage in that you don't have to scale up on-premise. You can scale up in the cloud. So that's less capex, right, and less investment. So, but the idea, that, of course, is that it's you know it's only going to work if it's implemented properly and within the framework of, of a well-defined roadmap, right? Because it could again, it could be a year or two of of incremental change where you move certain things to the cloud while keeping certain things on premise. So, yeah, that's uh, there's a lot to it. <laughs> All right. Well, lots of great information there. Um, we're at our last question, which is not totally a question, but, you know, the floor is yours. Is there anything new and exciting happening at Ignite Technology that you'd like to share? There's a few things. How much time do we have? <laughs> oh, you, you let us know. <laughs> you want. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll try to be brief. Okay. Uh, video <laughs> intelligence is one of the things we're working on. Um, Ramel Mendoza, one of our, uh, our our partners in the company, he's working on a a project out west that uh, is going to designed to use uh, retail networks, video surveillance networks to their advantage with uh, by implementing video intelligence. So you know, think about things like uh, you can you can track foot traffic, dwell times. You can integrate into wayfinding signage, display signage, even into your POS, right? To gain insights into wow. what the customer is doing in your store, right? Are they leaving happy? Are they, you know, are they interacting with your staff? What's the uh, look on their face? Yeah, what's the look <laughs> on their face? Are they happy, sad? Are they yelling? <laughs> so there's a lot of things. And with the, um, you know, the ultimate goal is just to unlock value, right? Either money made or money saved, mm-hmm. right? And it's uh, most retail stores have some kind of, of surveillance network these days. So you don't, you, if you can gain, use it for intelligence, not just surveillance, you're, you know, you're gaining, right? And with the growth in the IoT sector, uh, the possibilities continue to expand in that area. So Ramel's working with that, and hopefully over the next several months we'll see something come out of there. The other big thing we're, we're doing is Ignite Health. So it's, I didn't talk about that at the beginning, but we have um, uh, a separate entity called Ignite Health. And so essentially, uh, you know, we're currently involved in a number of projects within the healthcare space that uh, uh, we see a lot of opportunity for our expertise there, right? So we're working with several health institutes and primary care networks on digital technology initiatives. We're also working in the dental industry as an integrator and managed service partner. Uh, 
you know, the vision is essentially to be a leader in providing integrated digital health solutions, right? We're focusing on utilizing affordable technology to reduce isolation and improve patient wellness. Um, we're helping address some problems like staffing challenges, the, as I mentioned, the seamless integration of all these multiple technologies, right? The security and privacy of data. And, and to address the rising operational costs. I think we all know what's going on in the healthcare industry these days, uh, exacerbated a lot by the pandemic, of course. And so we're working uh, with a couple of entities uh, here, uh, Canadian Sports Institute and the Prostate Cancer Centre out in Alberta. And we've done a lot of work with them bringing their technology together. Uh, we're also working with the Prostate Cancer Centre on their 30,000 square foot new facility, so we're working on the infrastructure for that, and they all, and also for uh, some of their remote uh, uh, screening and telemedicine, they have what's called a man van that they send around <laughs> for prostate cancer, right? And it's a great idea, yeah. but it needs to be connected, right? right. So, so we're working on stuff like that. Um, in addition to that, we're working with the Ontario Ministry of Health. Um, we're partnering with Cisco and a, and a software company called LaunchCode to uh, utilize a or create a what we call the autonomous living project, and the goal there is to utilize technology in a way that connects residents, family members, and caregivers together, enables adults living with autism or Down syndrome to live more independently and autonomously. So that's wow. called the autonomous cool. living project. So, so you know, we're not just an integrator; we're, yeah, we're well, an innovator. You do it all, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You yeah. don't do well. And I was gonna say, it sounds like you're doing some cool projects that kind of like started off like where you were at with office space, but then you're also entering some new territory, which is exciting. Absolutely, and uh, you know what um, we've we've expanded, like I said, into cybersecurity, and then and now into managed IT services. Mm-hmm. It's opening a lot of doors. And uh, a lot of in-house expertise being applied uh, to other other projects now as well. So it's great. I, you know, I just I look at our mission statement. You know, and and, and I think that's uh, if we're running out of time here, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I look at our mission statement, and and uh, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just t- tell you the five values that are in it uh, for Ignite. And this is kind of what we stand for, right? People first, teamwork, innovation doing the right thing, and humility. And people say, well, wow, I haven't heard some of those. I've, some of them I've heard before, right? But mm-hmm. some of them I haven't. And, I mean, doing the right thing uh, is, is really, we'll always do the right thing for the customer. If that means saying, you know, listen, this isn't in our wheelhouse, but we know a company that it is, or we can give you a couple of, of uh, references, then we'll do that, mm-hmm. right. right? It's not about just selling anybody anything just for the for the sake of it, Right. And the humility part really struck me. And, and when I was interviewing, um, they also mentioned humility. I, I've never been asked that or talked yeah, about that yeah, during that, an that interview, right? And it's just, you know, we don't go around beating our chest saying, oh, we're the best <laughs> IT company yeah. ever, you know, and all that. It's, you know, I mean, we don't know. When we go into a company, we don't know their environment, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk in there and say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you folks need. I need to understand that company first. I need to exhibit a little bit of humility and say, hey, listen, I don't know your environment Tell right. me about it, right? So it was interesting. I just thought that was a great, uh, great thing to add into the discussion because it's uh, it's really about people first. We hire, we like to hire the most technically proficient people, but it's you know if if that person is not the most technically proficient, but they've got other attributes that you know in terms of teamwork, 
and being able to work, you know, create those relationships because we're not just creating relationships with our customers. We're also creating relationships internally. Right. right? So that's so very, important. very important. Right. So we, we out, we're out to get the right people. And uh, it's a great environment. I mean, if uh, as we add to our staffing, if uh, anybody's looking for a great environment to work in, Ignite. <laughs> oh, that's a good Ignite plug technology. To end on. I, I, I totally, uh, I, I, I would totally advocate submitting a resume and going through an interview process with with Ignite. It's unique. Yeah, great place Amazing. to work. Yeah, well, love to hear it. It sounds like obviously you've got a great team and you're working on some really fun projects. So we're definitely going to keep an eye out for all the exciting stuff that you guys are doing. Oh, I appreciate it. And it's great that there's organizations like Digital Nova Scotia, who we work closely with, and, and the Halifax Chamber of Commerce. You know, that's uh, these organizations are a great benefit to the, the companies here in Nova Scotia. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming. No, this is wonderful. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to All Hands on Tech. Interested in learning more? Visit us on our website at www.digitalnovascotia.com. We'll see you next time. This has been a Podstarter production. production.